Good morning. My name is Matt Morton. I'm the teaching pastor at our Creekside campus. So Brian Fisher and I swapped places this morning, but we're continuing with our Connected series. This morning talking about friendship. A few weeks ago, I happened to be looking at some old family photos. My dad had gone and digitized a bunch of our old boxes and albums of photos from when I was a kid. And I ran across some pictures from my four-year-old birthday party. So here is one. I'm blowing out the four-year-old candle. That's my older brother behind me who looks like he's ready to help me with the candle. He's as excited as I am. I loved looking at these pictures. uh, But as I scrolled through them more and more, I would run across photos like this one. And something struck me about them. And it was this. I don't know who any of these children are. I would look at the photo and go, I I don't recognize any of these kids. And and in fact, sometimes I even ran across photos. They were labeled on the back. It's like there's Kevin and there's Bob or whatever their names were. And I would read the names and still go, nope, doesn't ring a bell. I don't remember who these kids are. Uh, What was interesting was as I scrolled through them, I remembered the furniture better than I remembered the people. Uh, I still remember that sofa very vividly, and I remember the tables next to that sofa, but I couldn't place any of these kids. And I thought about why is that, that when you go way back to your childhood, you might recognize a couple of the kids, but not many of them as you look at old pictures. I think, I think part of that is that when we are young, for the most part, our parents pick our friends. For the most part, we didn't choose them. They they might be friends that our parents selected based on who their friends were. So they invite the kids of their friends. Or they might be a kid in your class that you mention once or twice. And so your parents go, hey, what about Joey? You should invite him to your party. And so you do. But you don't have this deep affinity or affection for those kids always that lasts a long time. But at some point, as we grow up, we begin to want to select our own friends. So I remember for me, it was maybe fourth or fifth grade. I moved back to Texas and I was going to a new school. And I remember identifying a group of kids that I said, I want those kids to be my friend. And it was the kids that I thought those are the cool kids, whatever that means in fourth or fifth grade. They were the cool kids. And so I decided I want to get in with those kids. And and for me, I was never the most athletic kid or the tallest kid or the best looking kid or whatever it was. But I figured I could get in with this group by being the funny kid. And so I would stand in front of my bathroom mirror and practice my jokes and my funny faces so that I could impress these kids. And, And you know what? It worked. I remember a moment in sixth grade where one of these one of these cool kids, popular kids, I still remember his name was Hunter. He came up to me and he said, hey, Matt, it's amazing. Last year, you were really just a nerd. But this year, you're one of us. And I remember thinking two things. One, I didn't think I was that much of a nerd last year. But secondly, yes, I'm a part of the group. I'm one of them. I, like everybody in this room, I wanted to have a group of people that would know me well And that I would know a group of people that were my buddies that would run with me or walk with me through the course of my life. That would be there to pick me up when I was down. That would encourage me when I was discouraged. That would help me to live my life well. Now I found out, as most of us do, that some friends are better than other friends. 
Some friends bring out the best in us. Some friends bring out the worst in us. Some friends are only there as long as you are the funniest or best looking or most athletic kid or whatever. And then they will leave if there's somebody that can take your place. But all of us want that. All of us crave that. And it's interesting, when I was a young adult, a college student, and then a young single adult, I heard a ton of sermons on marriage and dating and romance. I heard very few, if any, on this topic of friendship. And yet the Bible talks about it a lot. When you read the scripture, I don't think it's an overstatement to say this, that I can't find anybody in the scripture who walked well with God or who did great things for the kingdom of God, but who did them all alone with nobody by their side. So we think about the great men and women in the scripture. Think about King David who had his friend Jonathan who encouraged him when he was low and spurred him on when he needed to be spurred on. You think about Daniel in Babylon with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who helped spur him on to do the right thing, even in the midst of a pagan empire, pressuring them to worship false gods. There was Naomi and Ruth, Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas. Even Jesus had friends. His disciples that he selected that later in his life, he says, I now call you my friends. Now, they weren't perfect friends. Sometimes they let him down. But these were men who walked alongside him, who cared about his mission, who cared about him, who wanted the best for one another and for Jesus. There isn't anybody I can find in the scripture who did something great for the Lord, who you could say they did it all alone. So that when you read the Bible, you run across passages like this one in Hebrews chapter 10, a passage many of you will know. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are meant to walk the Christian life in fellowship, in community with other people who are walking it with us. That's one of the reasons we gather together on Sunday and we sing these songs to one another. This call and response song we just sang a few minutes ago to remind one another, like Tim said, of what is true about Jesus and what is true about us. We don't walk alone. And the the writer of Hebrews says, in fact, if you want even just to hold on to the faith, you want to keep believing in Jesus. You cannot do it alone. If you stop gathering together, if you eliminate from your life, your friends who help you walk well. It's not just helping us in the faith. Friends, the scripture says, also just sort of ease our passageway through life. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly 
torn apart. Now, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he is writing this in the context in Ecclesiastes 4 of actually saying, there are, there are people, they have everything the world could offer. They've got money, they've got prestige, they've got a great reputation, they've got everything you'd think they need. But if they're all alone, they're still vulnerable. They're vulnerable to attack. They're vulnerable to a whole lot of negative things happening in their lives because we are not meant to live alone and be alone. We are meant to do it in the context of community. That applies whether you're single, married, have kids, live in a house by yourself. All of us are meant to walk the path with other people. And yet, and yet, we live in a lonely culture. We live in an isolated day and age. A few years ago, Cigna Health did a study in which they found that 50% of Americans roughly reported that they feel lonely or alone at least some or most of the time. Only about half of Americans would say that they have some meaningful in-person interaction with at least one other person every day. Think about that. Only half of us would say, every day I have a conversation or a meaningful interaction with another human being every day. We're deeply connected online, but we are also isolated in real life. And, And what they found in that same study was that the generation that was most lonely was Generation Z. Those who are just now entering adulthood. They're 18 to 22, 23 right now. They reported extremely high levels of isolation and loneliness. And interestingly, they reported that their health, their physical health was worse than those who were over 70 years old. Another study found that being lonely and isolated increases your risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, arthritis, and even suicide. One study from about 30 years ago found that the health risks of loneliness are worse than the risks of high blood pressure, lack of exercise, and smoking. We're not meant to be alone. What we need, what we want, is what Proverbs 27 describes. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another. We want those people in our lives who will encourage us, Help us know God better, rub off our rough edges, and walk alongside us. The reality is, and we'll talk about this more in a couple of moments, you and I will become more and more like the people that we spend the most time with. You and I will become more and more like the people we spend the most time with. So the reality is that your values and your attitudes are shaped by probably the two, three, four, five people that you're closest to in your life, those people who are in your inner circle. Another article I read last week from Psychology Today said that they did a study where they found that people who are best friends, they, t- they tend over time to start looking like each other. They physically resemble one another the more time they spend together. And they, they began to ask, why, why does that happen? They're not related. They're not genetically connected in some way. Here's what they said. People may unconsciously mimic their friend's typical facial expressions or their body language, such as gestures, posture, and their gait. 
Over time, there is the possibility that friends' faces become more alike because of using similar facial expressions. Lots of frowning or laughing or looks of disgust may actually lead to changes in facial patterns. Now think about the implications of this for a moment and ponder those people who are your best friends and the faces they make most often. This is serious stuff. You will literally begin to be shaped by the people you're closest to. So what we're going to talk about for a few minutes this morning then is what does the scripture say about what makes a person a good friend? What does the scripture say about what makes a person a good friend? I'm going to provide a few characteristics of good friends from the scripture. And again, remember, this is not to say that anybody who doesn't have these, you need to just never talk to. That's not what the word of God says. But instead, this is talking about those people who you're going to say, you're going to, you're going to be invited into my inner circle. You're going to be one of the people that I'm going to run with the most, that I'm going to hang out with the most. And, and as we look at these characteristics, here's the two questions I want us to ask. First of all, who are the friends that I'm keeping? Do they help me know God better? Are their lives aligned with the values of God's word? And secondly, what kind of friend am I? Am I the type of friend that I would want to have? Does my life align with the values of God's word and of his scripture so that I can challenge other people to know God and walk with God and encourage them in all that God has for them? So I want to look for a few minutes. What does the scripture say a good friend is? First one is this, a good friend is godly. A good friend is godly. Let me show you a couple of passages from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. That is, if you, if you hang out with people who are righteous, and, and in the book of Proverbs, the righteous person is a person who lives according to the word of God. They say, I want to arrange my life my relationships, my words, my thoughts, I want to arrange all that around the values of God that I find in the scripture. That type of person is a guide to his neighbor. Spend time with that person. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. And again, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, as he's writing to one of his sons, quite often he talks about these two pathways, the pathway of the righteous, the pathway of the wicked, the pathway of the wise, the pathway of the fool. And what you want to do is walk the pathway of the wise and righteous and stay far away from the pathway of the wicked and the fool. So he also will say in Proverbs chapter 13, he who walks with the wise grows wise but a companion of fools suffers harm. As I mentioned a moment ago, here's the reality of our lives. We are all impacted by the people we spend time with. I don't care if you are five years old or you're 105 years old, you are not immune to being impacted by the people you spend the most time with. Back in the 1950s, some of you will know this, there was a famous psychological experiment called the Ash Conformity Experiment. And what they did is they, they put a bunch of people in a room and they gave them an easy test, an easy quiz. And, and, and the essence of the quiz was there's a line, just a straight line over here, right? So you would look on a screen, there's a line. You'd look over here and there would be three lines of varying lengths, one of which would match the length of this line that you see over here on the left, right? So you have A, B, C. One is the right length, one is a lot longer, one is a lot shorter. All the questions were, were which of these lines over here 
match the line over here? It's, it's not a hard question. It wasn't a trick question. It was extremely obvious. So what they would do is they would put a guy in a room. And what that guy didn't know or that girl didn't know was that everybody else in the room was an actor paid to answer some of the questions wrong. And so they would begin to go around the circle and the first time everybody would answer it right. The right answer, B, 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 B or whatever. The right answer, everybody would do it. Second time around, they'd start and everybody would answer this obvious question incorrectly. They'd go, well, it's A, right? And A would be like three inches longer than the other line. A, 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 everybody would answer it wrong. And you could see, I've seen videos of this, the the person who's being experimented upon, you see the confusion begin to cloud his face. Like, what's wrong with these people? And they'll get around to him the first time and he'll go, it's B. Well, then they put another one up there and they go around again and everybody answers wrong again. And maybe he holds out the second time, maybe the third time. By the time it got to the end of the quiz, 75% of the participants changed at least one of their answers to conform with everybody else in the group. And remember, this experiment only went on for a few minutes. They just couldn't handle that tension. Imagine in your life the impact, not of a few minutes, but of years and years and years of the people surrounding you, telling you which way to go telling you what's right, telling you what's wrong. We're all susceptible. Here's the reality, at least of my life, is that the worst decisions that I have made in my life have been impacted by negative peer pressure. People who were telling me to do the wrong things. So it's interesting right now, our daughter is in the process of learning to drive. She will get her license later this year. And I learned that since I was... 15 or 16, the state of Texas has added some laws about teenagers driving that they didn't used to have. One of which is that uh, if you're 16, you can't put more than one other minor in your car unless you're related to them and drive around. So in other words, you no longer can, can stack your, your Honda Civic with eight of your teenage friends and drive around town. That's a good law. The other one is you can no longer drive around between the hours of midnight and 5 a.m. until you're a certain age. I think it's 18. Another really good law. And here's why. Because at least when I was a teenager, many, if not most of my bad decisions involved uh, vehicles after midnight and other teenagers. Because here's what invariably would happen is you'd be driving around and you'd have a car full of other other teenagers with you and somebody would go, hey, look, nobody else is on the road right now. The speed limit doesn't count right now. So you'd begin to accelerate and you're flying through the streets and then somebody else goes, hey, I have a whole bunch of canned biscuits back here. What if we throw them at the other vehicles on the road? Hypothetically, that kind of thing might happen if you were in a car with people who were pushing you to do the wrong thing. Right? Even the state of Texas now understands that you cannot withstand that kind of negative peer pressure forever. No matter how smart a kid, no matter how good a kid. And the same is true for adults over the long haul. This is why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Or Proverbs, again, an example related to anger specifically. Do not make friends with an angry person and do not associate with a wrathful person lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. 
Hang out with angry people, you'll become an angry person. Hang out with gossips, you become a gossip. You hang out with people who are, who are living their lives opposed to the word of God. You begin to drift away. You hang out with people who are cynical and slander their, their spouse when their spouse is not present or maybe even when they are. That begins to change your view of your own marriage and family. I right, see the scripture says, hang out with those who are wise and you become wise. Hang out with those who are godly and you begin to to follow their path as well. Just as the worst decisions that I have made have been at the influence of negative peer pressure, many of the best decisions I have made have been under the influence of wise counsel from friends who said, here's the right pathway. Let's walk it together. It may be as you hear this, you're in a spot where you, you go, the people that are in my life right now that are my inner circle, they don't, they don't match that. They're not helping me know Jesus. They're not prioritizing the things of the kingdom of God. And it may be that you don't necessarily need to cut some of those people entirely out of your life, but you need to begin to pray that God will move into your life some people that will encourage you to walk with him. If you're, if you're a college student or a young adult, you might have to change a roommate. If, if you're in a different stage of life, it might be a matter of who, who, do you, who do you have to your house? Who are the people you spend the most time with in your neighborhood, at your office, whatever it is. To begin to seek those who say, I want to know God and his word and love him deeply. Are those the friends we seek and are those the types of friends we're becoming? A good friend is godly. Secondly, a good friend is honest. Let me show a couple of other passages from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And then verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. I love these two verses being so closely juxtaposed in Proverbs chapter 27. Because on the one hand, it says, You want a friend who is willing to tell you the truth, even when it might hurt, even when it might wound you. You don't want the person who's always just going to tell you what you want to hear. You're doing great, it's okay, nothing's wrong in your life. But on the other hand, you do want a person who will say those things with sweetness and kindness. You want a person who has earned the right in your life to be heard. So that the closer we grow to our friends, what we hope is that there are people who will tell us the truth, but will speak it to us because they love us and they want the best for us in Jesus. Years ago, when it first came on the air, periodically I would watch the TV show American Idol. There are a lot of shows like this now, but it was kind of a novelty 15 or years ago or whenever it first started. And if you've never seen it, the idea is that people audition, they sing, they want to be the next big thing, whatever they want to be. And they, they hope to get famous from the show to win the whole deal, right? But in the early rounds of every season, there are always two or three people at least who just cannot sing. They cannot carry a tune in a bucket with a gun to their head. I mean, they are awful. And of course, part of the, part of the show and part of what they're trying to do is they, they want you to laugh at those people. That is part of it, right? They, they laugh at them and then they say, let's open it up and we will let the entire country laugh at their lack of ability. 
But every time I would see those scenes, not only would I cringe, but here's what I also thought. Who were the people in their life that did not tell them that they could not do this and should not do this? I mean, there had to have been people. There had to have been people who had heard them sing and there was no way they could have thought that they were going to win this thing. I mean, often it's, it's their mom, but sometimes it might be a friend or, or something like that. And, and they're like, I, I, they've heard them. And for whatever reason, when this person went to their friend and they said, I'm going to do it, I'm going to try out for American Idol. I want to be on TV singing in front of millions of people. They go, thumbs up, man, do it. Absolutely. And they never said a word. What they need is a person who pulls them aside, somebody who loves them enough to pull them aside and say, hey, I need to tell you something. You have a lot of strengths and abilities, a lot of great traits, a lot of things you can do in life. This is not one of those things. So don't do it because I love you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Most of us at some point have experienced coming home from a party or an event and you look in the mirror when you get home and there is something coming from your nose or your ear or on your face. And as you see it, you think, how long has that been there? (laughs) And how many people did I speak to? With that there, this happened to me actually last weekend. I was on our Creekside men's retreat. I got up in the morning. I had breakfast with a bunch of people and I was talking to all of these guys. I had maybe six, seven, eight different conversations. And right around, I don't know, conversation eight, I'm talking to a friend and, and, and halfway through he goes, hey Matt, I, just, I didn't need to tell you because I don't, I don't want you to walk around this way. You have like a long line of toothpaste coming all the way down the side of your chin. And I looked at him and I said, you are my only friend in this entire place. How many people saw it and said nothing and just let me walk around looking like I could not get the toothbrush on my mouth, you know? Proverbs says we want those people, even when it's awkward, even when it's hard, to step in and say, because I love you, here's a pattern in your life, here's an area of your life. And it's not just those kinds of areas, what our face looks like. It's about our our hearts and patterns that they may be able to see because they're close to us and they know us and they love us and they want us to know the Lord deeply. Never forget, probably 20 years ago, as I started to begin to preach and teach, I had a friend, an older guy, a mentor who came to hear me speak. and, and, And afterwards, a couple of days later, we sat down and and. I think I asked him for feedback. I said, what did you think? And, and he goes, the first thing he says is, you know, how are you feeling today? What kind, of, what kind of mood are you in? What kind of frame of mind? Are you feeling strong? Like, you know, it was kind of one of those things. And it's like, yeah, sure, you know. And he goes, hey, you did a lot of things well. You were interesting. Content was great. You know, you walked through it well. And then, and then he goes, but here's the thing. I don't think people connected with you because it was so obvious how much you were trying to get them to like you. Ouch. Right? My first internal reaction to that was, you shut up. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> right? But I walked away from, from that meeting and, and I began to pray about it and, and I began to process that. And I realized he was right. And what happened is that became a transformative moment in my life. Because somebody was willing to kindly but directly tell me the truth and where I needed to grow. 
He was honest. A good friend is godly. A good friend will tell you the truth because they're honest. Thirdly, a good friend is trustworthy. Now, what I mean by this is a little bit different from what I mean by honest. So let me show you a couple of passages and you'll understand. Proverbs chapter 11. He who goes about as a tale bearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. And then Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. These two verses use two different Hebrew words to talk about the gossip or the slanderer. One is just the person who has no self-control. You tell them something. You tell them some struggle. You tell them some hurt. And they just can't help themselves. They've got the juice and they got to go tell. And they don't mean anything bad by it. But they have a lot of Twitter followers who need content. And so they put it out there. The other type of person is actually the malicious person. Who's looking to hurt people. Maybe because they feel hurt. Maybe because they just enjoy it. And so they're gathering this dirt. So they can release it to the public. Maybe to make themselves look bigger. Proverbs says, stay away from those folks. There's a famous quote by Alice Roosevelt Longworth, the daughter of Teddy Roosevelt. She was a socialite in the 1920s. And she said, if you don't have anything good to say about somebody, come sit next to me. Proverbs says, that's the kind of person who stay away. And that's the kind of person we don't want to be. How do you know if you're dealing with that kind of person? Here's one way. If somebody comes to you and they're so fun because they always have all the dirt on everybody else to share with you, I can almost guarantee you they're going to gather yours and share it with others. If they're telling your, their, someone else's stuff to you, they'll tell your stuff to somebody else. What we want is a person who will take what we tell them, the thoughts of our heart that need processing, the struggles we're wrestling with, and hold them in confidence. To be clear, I'm not talking about a person who is going to hide, you know, your criminal activity or bury a body for you. (laughs) But what I am saying is that that we we want those friends that we we can call or we can talk to and we can say, there's some things going on in my life and in my heart that are sensitive and they're tender and they're difficult And some of the things that I'm thinking and feeling right now, I know that they're not true. I know that they're lies, but I can't seem to get them out of the, out of my mind. I need you to help me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to to walk with me through this. And they will pray and they will counsel and they will encourage and then they will lock it in a vault and not spread it to others. And when I think about this one, I have to think, am I this kind of person And then are you this kind of person and are the people we're around people we can trust? Because we all need that safe spot where we know I can be who I am and express what I'm feeling. And it's not going to go further. Good friend is godly. Good friend is honest. Good friend is trustworthy. And then fourthly, a good friend is loyal. Good friend is loyal. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother.
We'll talk about this in just a moment. A lot of people have recognized Jesus in Proverbs 18.24. I think rightly so. Because there is no friend who will stick closer to us than Jesus. But I also think in writing to his son, the writer of Proverbs here is saying, you know what, you can fill your life with people who are not going to stick with you when times get hard. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There are friends you can make in your life. And the reality is most of us in our lives might have in the course of our lives, if God is good to us, maybe two or three of these people that stick closer than a brother. They're the first ones to show up at the hospital and the last ones to go home. They're the ones that will drop what they're doing when your car is broken down 45 miles away. And come to your rescue. They're the ones that when your reputation is being slandered, they will step in and defend you. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. On the flip side of that verse, Proverbs chapter 25, like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. I don't know if you've ever had a bad tooth. I have had Uh, bad teeth in my life. Now, when you're a child, if your tooth begins to hurt a little bit and get uh, wobbly and it starts to fall out, that's okay. Your parents pay you for that. Your parents are expected to give you money just because of a normal biological process that I've never understood that system. But when you are a grown-up, nobody pays you for that. Your tooth begins to hurt and what happens? You have to go pay somebody else to fix it. And I have had in my life teeth that that begin to hurt. And so what will happen is I'll bite into an apple and a wave of pain will shoot from that tooth through my head all the way down to my feet. And I have a choice at that moment. I I can make an appointment with the dentist, which is probably what I should do. Or I can just eat on the other side of my mouth for the rest of my life. Because what I can say is, look, I don't trust that one. Right when I need it. It lets me down, and in fact, it hurts me. So I'm just going to shift over here to the ones I can trust. That's the imagery that Proverbs gives us right when you need it. Same thing with with an unsteady foot or a bad foot. If you've ever had that happen, just when you put weight on it, just when you really need it, it buckles. It says that's what a faithless friend is. That's the person that right at that moment that you really need them. When there's trial and hardship and pain in your life, right at that moment, you you say, I'm going to press my weight on this friendship. And they go, see you later. And they buckle. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I mentioned a moment ago that in Proverbs chapter 18, many have seen the character of Jesus. And I think that's exactly right in Proverbs 18. The only friend who will stick with us perfectly, is Jesus Christ. The reason we are called to be friends who have these characteristics, who are godly and honest and and trustworthy and loyal, the reason is because we are called to reflect the character of Jesus. We are supposed to be friends who are like Jesus to others so that we can help others know him and see who he is and walk with him. So this morning, if if you're a person that you feel isolated, you feel alone, and you say, I just wish I had one good friend, the great news from the scripture this morning is you have one. 
Jesus Christ, who died while we were yet sinners and rose again so that we can have eternal life and a relationship with him where he will never leave, never abandon us. He will never buckle like a bad foot. And you can know him. And then once you know him, you begin that process through the power of the spirit of being transformed. So that you and I can be people who are friends to those who need a friend. And who know how to discern the people who will help us walk closely with Jesus. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. And so as the team comes forward to prepare for communion, I, I want to close just with a couple of questions for us to ask as we wrap up. The first one is this. What kind of friends do you keep? What kind of friends do you keep? Who are those people who are in your inner circle? It may be that as you hear these characteristics this morning, you think, I don't have that kind of friend. Or it may be, I know there are probably some in here that you go, I'm not sure I have any friends. I feel all alone. So where do you find these these men and women? Let me offer a couple of thoughts. First of all, pray. Pray that God will bring into your path just at least one person who will help you know him better, who will love you and walk with you. Just, Just pray. And then secondly, step forward and engage, even though it feels risky. Join a a home group or a Bible study where you will increase the odds that you'll be sitting in a room with people who want to know God and help others know him. And And then watch, who are those people in the group who have rooted their lives in the word of God and in the values of Jesus Christ? So what kind of friends do you keep? And then, of course, secondly, what kind of friend are you? Are you and I becoming the types of friends that we're looking for? The types of people by the power of God's spirit who will lead others in the way of righteousness. What kind of friends do you keep? What kind of friend are you? As the team comes forward with communion, uh, consider those questions. And let's also take a moment and just say thank you, Jesus, for being the friend that we need. First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul wrote, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we are grateful this morning for the good news of Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. We are grateful for what we sang earlier this morning, that we know you truly love us and that Jesus, our Messiah, holds forever those he loves, that we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, closer than any human friend, because you have given us that. 
Father, we pray now that you would transform our hearts and minds to become the type of people that you desire us to become, full of grace and truth and the love and mercy of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.